Rich people think differently. So what I'm going to put in your head today is a rich people concept so you can get to understand it. The only difference between successful people and not is just how they think. Rich people think different. Quit letting people tell you you got to get qualified in another program. You don't need another program to be successful. You need to change the way you think. So here's the deal. The problem with becoming a millionaire is that when you decide that you want to be a millionaire, you immediately start thinking, how can I become a millionaire? Well, that thought don't just pop into your head, so you get frustrated and you don't become a millionaire. Or as soon as I think of how I'm going to make a million, you can't think of how to make a million dollars. Stop. Do you know if you know how to make a million dollars? What's today? Tuesday? Wouldn't you make it by Friday? Wouldn't you make it by Friday? But suppose I told you how you can become a millionaire with what you have. Because here's the deal. All of you have everything it takes to become rich. You just don't believe it. Now, if you can develop this theory that I'm about to share with you, I have the way for you to be rich. This is it. First of all, all of you have a gift. God gave it to you when he created you. God never created a single soul without giving them a gift. That's the God that created you. He's a very smart God. Here the cold thing. When he made you, he put the gift inside of you. He didn't hide it under the ocean. It ain't on the mountain nowhere. It ain't under no rocks. You ain't got to go drill it. God put what you needed inside of you at birth. All of you have a gift. But you have got to do your gift the thing God gave you at birth to do. It is the thing that you do the absolute best with the least amount of effort. That's your gift. Anything else you're doing, you're wasting your time. Do you hear me? you wasting your time. If when the alarm clock goes off in the morning and it makes you sick every morning that that alarm go off, it's because you ain't doing your gift. You're going against what God created you to be. Do, do most of you know what your gift is? Who in here doesn't know their gift yet? Okay, let me tell you what you do. Go home today. Don't talk to nobody. Sit down and have one conversation with yourself. What is the thing that I do the absolute best with the least amount of effort? This ain't going to take you long. You old enough, you grown. Write it down. I don't care if it's networking. I don't care if it's babysitting. I don't care if it's doing color. I don't care if it's painting. Whatever it is, it's what you do. Sing it. Whatever you do the best, write it down. That's your gift. That's it. You ain't got to go asking a bunch of people. They've been telling you your whole life. You know, you ever have people call you with their problems? They always call you with your problems because you gifted at it. But you didn't, you didn't know how to identify it. If you identify your gift. Now, let me ask you this question. This thing that you're gifted at, if you did it for somebody, do you think somebody would pay you $10 for your gift? Just $10. Could you babysit for $10? Could you cut somebody's hair for $10? Could you cut their grass for $10? Could you make them a chicken dinner for $10? Could you, could you, could you do something for $10? Everybody. Don't you have something somebody would give you $10 for?
Okay, now, once you have something that somebody's willing to pay you $10 for, this is how this works. It's called the multiples of 10. See, you don't have to figure out how to be a millionaire. You just got to figure out the thing that makes you $10. So now here we go. You do it and you make $10. Soon as they pay you the 10, go do it 10 more times. Whatever it was. Watch some more kids. 10 more times. Get another 10. You got $100. When you get $100, whatever you did to make that $100, listen to me. Do it 10 more times. You ain't got to get tricky with it. Just do it 10 more times. You'd have made $1,000. Whatever you did to make the $1,000, don't get smart. Stay stupid now. Do it 10 more times. You have now made $10,000. Hold up. Now we finna grow a little bit, but guess what you gotta do to grow? You just gotta do some more. Whatever you made $10,000 doing, I need you to do it 10 more times. What you tripping for? If you do it 10 more times, you got a hundred thousand dollars. Now you might have to hire some people to make this happen. You gotta figure that part out. But all you gotta do is do what you did for $10. Once you make a hundred thousand dollars, uh oh, if you just do it 10 more times. For all the, the young people here who are maybe they're, they're just having their first kid and they're in their late twenties, early thirties, around that range. What are the three habits or skills you wish you would have known then that you wish all of them start to learn at this age in their life? The tough one, because I think at every stage of your life, you look at life differently. So it's hard to tell someone in their 20s how they should be until they've experienced certain things. There are certain things that just be words. But if I was going to give a couple habits, I'd say the first habit is to not judge yourself too hard, because I think that's what young people do a lot. And I think people do of all ages. You know, when you're 61 years old, and you've lived as much life as I have, a little less judgment of myself in this area. Uh, you know, it's not make everything life and death because then the kid feels that. And it isn't all life and death, you know. Uh, my, I, I got to be honest, I thought when my daughter's crying, it's like I hate anybody in pain. You know, I thought it was going to just pierce me and make life so difficult. But fortunately, number one, she doesn't cry. She's like, I told my wife, I don't know how this kid came from us because this kid is so zen. She cries when she's got to go to the bathroom, when she's got a diaper, she cries when she's hungry. But otherwise, she's pretty zen. But the cry even then is different for me now. So it's not life and death. I'm not hyper judgmental of it. And then the third thing is decide what's most important that you want for your child. The two or three most important things for me is that child feels so incredibly loved. And for me, not yet, but as the child develops, it's developing a sense that life is something that's calling to you to give something, not to get something. I think if I could give any lesson to my child, it's the lesson of contribution, which makes life so meaningful, the depth of relationship that comes from having such a deep love. I think those two things are the minimum, but you've got to decide what do you want for your child because, you know, they're their own being. You're going to have your plans how you think they should be, and then they're going to be how they are, right? And But what you can shape is their value system, and not every individual value, but the, the, the global values. You know, that life is a balance, that of course you're going to go to extremes, but balance is how the body maintains it's how life gets in balance. It's like, look for that. It's like, life is not about me, it's about we. That life is calling to you to give something. Don't ask what your country's asking for you, as you know, a Democratic president once said. What are you going to do for your country? We kind of lost that theme, not only in our country, but in our parenting. And so I see a lot of kids today that are like, they're, what, what is my parent doing for me? I could never imagine that thought in my life. My whole thing was like, you know, not one of my, what can I do for my parents was my focus. You know, what can I do? And all those little patterns lead to a life that is more meaningful and fulfilling. 
But I don't think over-controlling is not going to get you where you want to go, based on my history, because this isn't my first rodeo. <laughs> I got four children before that, three of which I adopted. So I was 24 and had a 17-year-old son instantly, an 11-year-old, a 5-year-old, and one on the way. So you learn to grow differently. And, you know, my former spouse who had those kids, she'd been married twice before me, so they were from different parents. And so I adopted them all and brought them in my life. Probably got some of the greatest growth in my life from that experience of parenting. Take a bit of a look at yourself and think about what's not so good that you could improve, that you should improve by your own standards, and that you would improve. You know, and set yourself a little goal. Um, you know, maybe you're not studying at all at, at, at your university, or maybe you're maybe you're at work and you've got this stack of paper there. You know, and you haven't looked at that damn stack for like a month, and you know that you should be. And you're bothering yourself at night because you're avoiding that. It's like maybe think, well, I've avoided that stack of paper completely for one month. I'm quite a coward when it comes to whatever snakes might be hidden in that stack of paper. How about tomorrow I just like put that stack of paper in front of me on my desk and I like I glance through it for 15 seconds. See if I can do that. It's like, well... You set yourself a goal of improvement. You know, it's a humble goal because really, are you such a coward that the best that you could bloody well manage after a month of avoidance is 15 seconds of exposure to a stack of paper? You know, it could easily be. You've been avoiding it. You're obviously afraid of it. And so the situation could be that dismal and dire. And you might think, well, geez, it's no bomb to my ego. It's no... It's no, it's not fostering the, the strength of my ego to recognize myself, someone who could only withstand 15 seconds of exposure to that thing I'm afraid of. And so that's a form of humility too. It's like, there's things you could do to improve and you know what they are. And there's small steps that you could take that you might take that would put you in that direction. And then the question is, are you big enough to take those small steps? You know, are you capable of grappling with the fact that you're fundamentally flawed to the point where you have to break things down into almost childlike steps in order to manage them. And the answer to that is, yeah, you are. It's Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich. And, you know, he said there's a secret in this book. And he said, if you can find the secret in the book, you can have anything you seriously want. Now, you take a person that's unhappy, not very healthy, is in debt, You'd have a difficult time accepting that. I was 26, and I just couldn't accept the idea. But as Ray said, your way's not working. Why don't you try his? And that's what I'd like to suggest to you today. If you're not getting the results you want, your way obviously isn't working. Why don't you try ours? Now, I often mention that John and I have got license to brag about every idea we use because none of them are ours. We don't claim uh, that we've originated these ideas. In fact, we openly admit we haven't. We've just gathered them from books here and seminars there and great teachers all over the world. And what we've done is put them together in an organized, coherent manner. So if your way is not giving you the results you want, I would suggest that you take a real serious look at these ideas. Now, I looked for the secret and I couldn't find it, but I found in one place here, he said a peculiar thing about this secret is that those who once acquire it and use it find themselves literally swept on to success with but little effort and they never again submit to failure. What a marvelous premise. He said, if you doubt this, study the names of those who have used it wherever they've been mentioned. Check their records for yourself and you'll be convinced. Now he lists 
upwards of a hundred names here. He's got Henry Ford, William Wrigley, James J. Hill, George Eastman, Theodore Roosevelt. He goes on here, uh, John D. Rockefeller, Thomas Edison, Luther Burbank, Woodrow Wilson. How could I relate to any of those people? I couldn't relate to them. But you see, in that first part, he said, check their names or check their records wherever they've been mentioned. So I did that. And I got out books on Edison and I got books on Rockefeller and I got books on Woodrow Wilson and all the great people that he had mentioned here. And you know what I found? I found they were no different than you. They were no different than me. Many of them had very little formal education, which made me feel fairly comfortable because I didn't either. Many of them had very, very rough roads to start on. But I found out we were essentially all the same. Do you know what was different? The results they were getting. And as I studied on here further, in his chapter on persistence, and, and he mentions that persistence to the quality or to the character of the human being is like what carbon is to steel, he said the only thing that he could find in Edison or Ford that he never found in everyone else was persistence. They'd get a hold of an idea and they'd stick with that idea. Where will you be in your business and your life in 36 months? Not because you hope, because you decide. If there's something you once envisioned and now it's real, it's because you decided there's something you wanted so bad that you unleashed all your desire. You became obsessed with it. You didn't just envision it, you brought so much emotion to it that now it's in your life. It was once a dream, it was once a goal, and now it's in your life. It may have seemed impossible one time. So how did you do it? started with a concrete vision of what you wanted and you focused on it continuously, didn't you? It's worth being around motivated, positive people. It's worth being up-tempo. It's easy to have faith and feel good when you're feeling good and you have no pain and your bills are paid and you got a clean bill of health from the doctor. It's easy to be motivated then. But when that's not the situation, it's hard. When you look in the mirror, you don't see the person that you once saw. It's hard. I know it's hard, but do it hard. What do you want me to tell you? That it's going to be a picnic? No, it's not. Will it be challenging? Yes. It's going to kick your butt? Yes, it is. This dream you got, whatever you want to do, will it be easy to just run out there and do it? No. Will it happen overnight? No. Will it be a struggle? Yes. Will there be times when you can't make ends meet? Yes, that's a part of it. But you have to take control and train this brain. If you don't train this brain, it'll use you instead of you using it. Instead of letting your goals and your tasks and your health and your discipline waver, rise up. No one's coming to push you. No one's coming to tell you to turn the TV off. No one's coming to tell you to get out the door and exercise. Nobody's coming to tell you to apply for that job that you've always dreamt about. Nobody's coming to write the business plan for you. It's up to you. And because you're only ever going to do the things that you feel like doing right now or that feel good right now, unless you understand that you've got to parent yourself, you've got to push yourself. I hate when people give 70% but they want the life of somebody that's giving 100%. I challenge you, your life is where it is because of the percentage that you give. 
you cannot bring a tree down by hitting it a thousand times. If you hit a tree a thousand times in a thousand different spots, the tree is not going to fall. But if you hit a tree a thousand times in that same exact spot, it's going to come to the ground. Your problem is you did hit it a thousand times, but in a thousand different places. You need to do me a huge favor. Stop trying to be deep. I need you to do the exact same thing every single day for the next 10, 15, 20 years and watch that tree come down.